filled with sin, filled with sin and debauchery and trying to make sense of all of these things. And, and it just doesn't, it's hard for us. The sale of Joseph, which Mr. Jones preached on last week, and Judah intermarrying and leaving his family are connected. They happen at about the same time. Everything we read takes place in about the same time frame of Joseph being sold into slavery and ending up as Pharaoh's second-hand man when his brothers come to him. It's meant to be paralleled with Joseph's story. The next story we have of Joseph is when he has a run-in with Potiphar's wife. Do you remember that story? We'll get to it, but she hits on Joseph and he flees and he runs from her and he gets accused of sleeping with her or hitting on her, which is the exact opposite of what Judah does. Same time frame. They're, They're parallel with one another. We're going to spend a significant amount of time going over Joseph's life and what happens to him and how the Lord uses all of these trials and these hardships that Joseph has that form him into a leader, form him into the man that God wants to lead his people to protection. But behind the scenes, what we see is that Joseph doesn't see the whole picture in all of that. He trusts the Lord, but he doesn't see the ending. Judah gives us a small glimpse at what the Lord is doing. God's people were slowly but certainly neglecting the covenant. Slowly but certainly rejecting the Lord and turning to the Canaanites. I mean, think about this. God possibly, and one of the reasons God sends the Israelites into Egypt is protection for them. Because in the slavery of Egypt, they're forced to be distinct. But it's in the freedom of Canaan that they struggle and lose their distinction. That's where they're at most at danger. It's not in slavery, but in freedom. Judah spends the same amount of time as Joseph dealing with his struggles, dealing with his sin. A lot of Judah's struggle is Judah's sin, which amplifies in his sons and goes on and on until the Lord brings it to light through, through Tamar. But another thing that we see in this passage that we often miss is it's Perez the younger son of Judah that David comes from. That's King David's ancestor, not Joseph, Judah. That's why Jesus is the Lion of Judah. It's not Joseph's line that the snake crusher comes from. It's Judah's. Tamar, an abused and neglected foreign woman who has been treated like an object all of her life gets vindicated if you read Matthew she's in the genealogy of Jesus her son from her line she has a son who's a king and she's not a queen by any measurement she's not of nobility she doesn't even have a real happy and healthy family or happy and healthy marriage But this abused and rejected woman is used by God in his sovereignty, in his providence, for his glory. There's so much, uh, like many of the stories in Genesis, that are not nice and neat, that are not clean, that they're messy, and that they're sinful. But what we see over and over again is that God is in the background working. Think about how Tamar is redeemed in this story. Think about how Jesus in Matthew has his genealogy read and her name is listed there. All the while she spent years away, neglected and abused. 
Like if Judah did to Tamar what he now, like today what he did then, he would be canceled and then probably taken to court. But instead, in Judah's sinfulness, God doesn't condone sin. He doesn't support sin, but it's not beyond him to use it. He uses Judah's sinfulness to grow him into a man who's going to lead his brothers to the promise, to lead his brothers to Joseph eventually. He's not perfect. He's terribly sinful. But God in his wisdom gives grace and mercy even to the sinful Judah. Think about Revelation 21.12. It says this, and it had a high wall. Talking about heaven, it had a high wall and 12 gates. And at the gates of the 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. That sinful Judah, his name is written on gates in heaven. If God can redeem him, we have hope. Judah failed as a son. He failed to follow the covenants. He fails as a father. He fails as a father in law. Yet even the worst of sinners can enter into heaven by the grace of God. Because grace, and grace is not some justification to live however you want. Right, there's this idea, Paul addresses it in Romans, where it's like, well, I have grace, so I'm going to keep sinning so that I get more grace. That's some modern math for you. No. Grace is lavished upon you, and it's a gift. And when we receive grace from believers of Jesus, our hearts long to obey the Lord out of a flow of grace, not of duty. We sin and we continue on sinning because the things uh, we, we think we can get away with those sins. But brother and sisters, the gospel is better than that. God sees us in our most secret places. We cannot hide from him. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knew everything about you and about me when he went onto the cross and died. It's not as if Jesus dies and then he's like, man, they keep sinning, so I have to keep taking this route. I wish they would stop doing this. I didn't know they were going to do that or I wouldn't have, have saved them then. No, 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 Jesus knows it all and bears the full wrath of God. And to do so, he comes to the earth born of the Virgin Mary, which means women like Tamar pass down the line. See, there's no room for pride here. There's no room for justifying sins. The gospel is Jesus in my place, making a way for sinful me to be with holy God. By holy God taking sinful me's place on the cross. He took my wrath, my deserved punishment, and he gives me his grace and his mercy. And we He gives me his uh, grace. He gives me uh, grace alone is what saves. So those who experience grace, then our response is to be convicted of sin and to repent and to turn to the Lord over and over and over again in our lives. Maybe that's what's challenging in this text to you. Maybe that's what this text is challenging you to do. Is that maybe there's some sexual sin in your past that you're holding on to and you feel like the Lord just can't redeem you from. Or maybe there's some sexual sin that you're currently going through that you need to repent of. The idea we have of Jesus is often that he takes the Old Testament and he makes it easier, but that's not true. You know, Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. We had this conversation with the third and sixth grade kids that I teach downstairs. They're like, you're all a bunch of adulterers. And they were like, we're not even married. And I said, let's look at what Jesus says. 
And maybe for you, what the Lord's doing with this text is he's saying it's time to be open and it's time to be honest. Be honest with yourself, be honest with your Lord, and then be honest with your spouse. Repent. Tell them. Man, statistics tell us that, that more likely than not, there are people here who struggle with pornography. The average age is 12 when you first see pornography now. Cell phones are great, but they also have huge consequences and drawbacks. Maybe there's something else. Maybe it's something different. Maybe uh, none of this is easy. No one said repenting would be easy, but it's for your good and it's for the glory of God. But the flip side of this is maybe there are sins that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you just will not let those sins down. You feel like a failure, and so you hold on to them, and they become a part of kind of your identity that you just drag along, and that's not the message of the gospel either. The message of the gospel is Jesus can save and he can redeem you. It's Jesus in my place. Respond to the gospel in repentance. Respond in faith, whether this is the first time or it's the two millionth time. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you that we do get to gather together, that we can wrestle with tough passages like this one that poke and that prod at things that our culture thinks are new, things that our culture thinks might offer hope, might offer peace, might offer identity, might offer joy. But God, what we know is they offer death. They offer pain. They offer suffering. God, I I pray that you would help us to be a people who love you and who love others.